Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and on this episode I'm chatting with multiple members of the cast and crew of the new British sci-fi show Intergalactic which premieres Friday the 30th of April on Sky One and streaming service now. Written by the award-winning showrunner Julie Geary who you'll know from things like Prisoner's Wives, Cuffs and Secret Diary of a Core Girl, Intergalactic tells the story of a young cop and galactic pilot Ash Harper who has her glittering career ripped out from under her when she is wrongly convicted of a treasonous crime. Ash is sentenced to exile on a prison planet and loaded onto the prison spaceship, the Hemlock, for transfer. But she never actually reaches her destination as there is a mutiny aboard the ship staged by her fellow inmates. With the flight crew dead, mob leader Tula Clerk is intent on reaching the free world of Arcadia with her gang. And Ash, reluctantly, is the only pilot left on board to fly the ship. As the gang go on the run across the galaxy they will travel to many different planets make friends and encounter dangerous enemies all the time with the authorities on their tail. As the journey continues Ash begins to re-evaluate her dangerous cohorts. Could it be that this group of female fugitives are on the wrong side of the law but the right side of history? We were shown the opening three episodes of the series for these interviews. There are some very mild spoilers in here but if you're the type of person that doesn't want to know anything going into the show then uh, obviously watch the first few episodes and then come back and listen to this. There's nothing too big that would spoil anything for you though. I have to say I loved, loved what I saw. I really, really enjoyed those opening three episodes. Uh, If you're old enough to remember the classic show Blake 7, that was definitely a touchstone for this series and it's wonderful to see them create a new, brilliant British spacefaring sci-fi show. The interviews took place during a virtual press junket so uh, they split the cast and crew up into three separate groups so you'll hear me and some other press people as well asking questions throughout. The first group features the relative newcomer Savannah Stein, who plays the lead, Ash Harper, Paminda Nagra, who you will know from a million different shows such as ER, 13 Reasons Why, Fortitude, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a ton of other stuff as well. She plays Ash's mother, Rebecca, who also happens to be the head of galactic security for the Commonwealth as well. And uh, Craig Parkinson, who has been a load of different things, uh, The English Game, Temple, Misfits, and of course, Line of Duty is probably where a lot of people were known for. He plays Dr. Benedict Lee, who is the leader of the Commonwealth government. He's also a brilliant and seemingly somewhat shady scientist as well. Here's the first set of interviews. This is uh, Savannah Stein, Paminda Nagra, and Craig Parkinson. 
it's lovely chatting with you all and thank you for doing this talk I've seen the first three episodes of the show and absolutely love it it's very much my genre so Perminda I think start with you um, how how is it getting into the show because you've got some sort of form doing sci-fi and that sort of show before so how was it coming to a British sci-fi like this it's a very rare thing these days yeah well actually I'd worked with Kieran Hawkes our director um, before on Fortitude so as soon as I was told that he was involved in this project to be honest with you it was first and foremost I was excited because he was directing it and I just sort of was like okay I, I can feel this is going to be good and then of course I read it and I just loved the character I loved that there was just there was really something for me to get my teeth into and then the world that we were creating honestly Dave to be honest with you I didn't even quite realize until I was saying this before with Craig until you watch the trailer back it then just takes on a whole other epic turn because you know you're sort of seeing some of the, the you know special effects you know the silver balls that arrive on set and the you know the rooms that we're in that are our set decoration was just like we were in awe like walking into those spaces so to me it was just a fun coming back be fun working with a director I've worked with before and I got to make you know new friends and got to sort of hang out in England for a little bit so um I just it was all of that and more <laughs> awesome and Craig what about you this is I mean you've you did misfits so you've done sort of sci-fi and superhero adjacent stuff How yeah getting involved with a, a pure full-blown sci-fi thing yeah I mean completely different ballpark um again I'm gonna have to take Palmender's lead I too have been lucky enough to work with Kieran Hawkes in the past and mm. I was filming uh, the Netflix show The English Game which is a big period piece yeah again in the north of England but I had a big Hughes beard very very long hair and then the prospect of thrusting myself far, far into the future and being all just completely de-shedding the skin of that character and jumping into something that I hadn't really... I mean, of course, I dipped my toe in a little bit in the genre-bending stuff with Misfits, but this is quite full on and yeah it's set in the future but I don't think we need to just put it firmly in the science fiction category I think Mm. it's so much more than that and so exciting that it's a female-led ensemble on UK telly and it's I think the timing is right Um, but yeah it was was a real pull for me Uh, first seeing Kieran's name attached because you know you're in a very safe pair of hands who Mm. cares about his work uh, so so much you go oh great we're on the same level because we have such passion for what we do and I know he's going to get together a great cast and crew that are all on the same the same yeah. page um, so that that's one thing you don't need to worry about but I just thought well this is going to be a real exciting ride and I remember the department was just talking about the set pieces before and the structure I remember when we went into Dr. Lee's lab for the first time oh god shot us. beautiful we, we <laughs> Beautiful, but disconcerting because it was all mirrored floors and we had to yeah. wear uh, cover, what are they called? Shoe co- booties. shoe covers. Right. Little booties yeah. because you couldn't mess it up because it was just gleaming. But you look down and you're in a mirror and it was a bit woozy effect. I started to mm. feel a bit sick at one point. And then we have mm. to sort of, you know, get the silver balls in for the special effects. And there's going to be, this is what's going to happen now. There's going to be all these bees around here. So you're just constantly trying to imagine what it's going to be like. And I'm sure 
even in your own head, you've got a quite a clear vision. It ain't going to be that. It's going to be mm-hmm. something much more spectacular. But it was it was a real joy, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. it was just so exciting because everybody was doing lots of things that they hadn't done before and breaking down yeah. some some barriers, um, both in sort of storyline terms and uh, in the set pieces. Hopefully, this is going to work. And yeah, it was uh, it was a, a, an education. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, do you have a question? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I'd like to ask uh, Savannah, first of all, happy birthday. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is really your first big lead role and you're taking charge of this huge ensemble cast. How how did that feel? What were the challenges of that? It was wild. I didn't think it was going to happen. Like, I remember auditioning for it and just feeling like, you know, it's never going to happen. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just I've only done like very tiny roles on um, telly before, so I wasn't expecting it. And um, it was a dream. It, it was very challenging just because I feel like as a new actor, like I'm not like, just feel like you don't know what you're doing. I just feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't even know how to lead a show, let alone like leave my own scene. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But I think it was so great having people like Craig, Parminda, Eleanor, Sharon, like having such seasoned actors that I've been watching from from when I was a kid, like sitting opposite from them. I was and seeing like their freedom and the way that they embody their characters and what they bring every day. It was um, that that I found really useful. Taking guidance from all of them, from Kieran, um, from everyone was really helpful and supportive. So I think that's what kind of got us through to the end. <laughs> Sarah, do you have a question? I see, I see Sarah's taking it very professionally because she's out having a bloody picnic in the park. Yeah, where is she? <laughs> I'm not in whereas, we're, whereas we're all inside. We need to get her son. Yes, Sarah. I've got a bloody wardrobe to move and you're outside having a picnic, Sarah. Great yeah, you could have made an effort, over. Craig. <laughs> Honestly. Craig, not even. I'm literally inside. They've just got this fancy plant set up inside. Um, so it oh. looks like I'm outside. Um, oh, yeah. I, like, I mean, I'll, I'll believe you. Thousands wouldn't, <laughs> but yeah. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, my first question is for Savannah. Um, I mean, you like right in the very first scene, you sort of hit the ground, like literally and figuratively running. Right. And so can you talk about some of the action scenes that you have um, and what they were like to film? Yeah, I loved shooting the action scenes. I've always wanted to do action. Ash is always running, which which is funny because when I saw the, the poster came out yesterday for what they'll use on socials and everything in it, it's literally Ash running. There was a lot of running. And I run every day in my actual life, so that was fun. And I remember like a couple of weeks before they brought me to Manchester where we shot and Kieran, who is actually a trained kickboxer, trained me. Like we just did some some fights. And he's he's the most loving, warm guy, but he's also Loki. Yeah. He's also Loki. Like he has like very Viking vibe. No. <laughs> Soft Viking vibe. And so he'll, he'll take that. <laughs> yeah, Viking's good. <laughs> yeah. Rugged. Not anything yet. And I didn't like, I didn't know him all that well, but it was so great having that time to bond with him and also like learn to fight. And he he's fierce as well. So I feel like that was a great like lead into shooting the um shooting the action stuff, which was a lot of fun. I didn't know he took you off training. That's great. He did. He did. It was was the big rooms on set, like before, like before they built some of the set. I was there a couple of weeks before and we were just training, the two of us with Max, his assistant. That's amazing. And what fun. It was. (laughs) 
He's he's the Swiss Army knife of directors. He yes. kind of he kind of does a bit of everything, really. Doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. Does he do any cool moves like a special pinch that like makes someone freeze or something? I'm not. I can't. <laughs> I'm sure she'll show you some now. Yeah. Savannah, can you just get? Can up you please and demonstrate? Demonstrate. I need to see this. <laughs> I think that was probably aimed at me. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He taught me loads of stuff like kicks and punches, but we shot this all a year ago, so I can't really remember now. Me and my personal life, I'm not a fighter, so I can't can't too tough remember. But Ash knows what she's doing. Yeah, she certainly yeah. does. She certainly does. David Bell, do you have a question? Yeah, sure. Um, hi guys. One of the things I love about this is that tonally there's there's lots of things going on. There's a lot of depth to it. There's also a rich theme of, of very black humour running through it. Uh, there's that great scene where the poor security guard is listening to Phil Collins. I think that's in episode three. Um, it, was, it, was that important to you that, that, you know, it had shifting moods and shifting tones? I think so, it was. It's like I was saying to Dave before, to put it purely in a science fiction category is kind of doing it a disservice because it's got so much and a lot of that dark humour really sort of sings to me with, with, with any script. But to see it in this context is really, is so appealing. And I suppose it's the excitement right from the word go, right from episode one, and you just thrust into this world and you're on this chase or you you've got to play catch up as an audience member and i think more and more now certainly and i always go back to the sopranos how i feel that the sopranos changed television all those years ago not just with budgets but with its casting and you're seeing people who you haven't they're not on the treadmill of television all the time and i think that's what intergalactic does and does it very well it doesn't spoon feed the audience it kind of you know yes it grabs them by the collar and says we're going to go for a massive Mm. ride but it makes them work for the story a bit it's so entertaining and so thrilling but there's so much that's so relatable on so many different levels you know yes we have the dark humor and we have the grief we have pain it's like there's there's so much going on that is relevant also to present day life and people it gives you a little bit of everything and i think that's what was so fun to watch and play and helmed by you know the people that have you know julie geary it's a testament to, to how she she writes and and puts all of those even sometimes just within one one scene or one sentence you know you could just go through a journey so really starts from those guys and then uh and also i think we were really lucky of course to have kieran directing quite the main bulk but when it was passed to china Moo young she really put her stamp on it but kept that same the same tone that was set as a template and she just slotted so easy into this world that we'd we'd spent all that time creating certainly what julie had spent much much longer creating um it was a, a seamless transition and um, we've just got two minutes, but Lucas, do you want to ask a question? I think I interrupted you earlier. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I thought the series had a lot of sort of real world edge to it. It fit quite nicely with sort of changing attitudes towards the police currently. I was wondering if you guys could just quickly touch on where your characters sort of fit in with that. Obviously, Parminda, you're playing Rebecca, who's sort of at the head of all this. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's not at the head of it. Let's just. I'm, just I'm actually right not now. at the head of it. <laughs> actually, yes, I'm trying to do what the world that we've set up. She's trying to live within the parameters of that world, and she believes 
that her cause is correct and right and will fight for it. And she feels that she feels strongly enough about it that, you know, she will do what she has to do. In terms of the real world stuff, you say, I, I don't want to go off too much on that because I don't know. That's like more than two minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get so political. <laughs> All I know is my corner of my Commonwealth office and what she feels about that, which is just she's very, very, very passionate about, you know, her station in life. So take what you will from that, I guess. And I'm sick of talking about the police. The police always come back to haunt me in every press junket. <laughs> right, yeah, true. <laughs> Sarah Dean, do you have a final question? Actually, Craig, my impression when viewers see the first episode, to me, Benedict's motives aren't quite clear yet, obviously, but um, mm. I just want to get in your description of the character in your words. And also, because obviously you've played a villain in like quite an indie cop show recently, and also you've played like good people in, say, Indian Summers, for example. Do you have a preference as to whether you play someone who's slightly shady or do you like playing heroes? Um, are you drawn to one? Than the other. Yeah, it's not that cut and dry, Sarah. I think. I mean, I'm really, you know, everything, and I know I have to say this, it all harks back to the script. And if, if it's something that's rich and layered and interesting, and I feel that I could do a really good job with. And also, I mean, I must admit, I was slightly terrified of taking on this role because it is so complex. I remember sitting down with Kieran and having lunch with him, and we were discussing about where he thought the character should be going and what my initial thoughts were. And we both came to the same conclusion that it was the character was was almost Lynchian in the way he holds himself and he's quite asexual in a way. And his physicality is something that I was interested in sort of developing and, and, and going a little deeper with that because he's got such a fantastic mind, but he's quite clinical. You know, you never see him physically interact with anybody. He seems to be wanting complete control over everything. And uh, that was just something slightly scary. And I think it's always good to be quite scared. And Because uh, if, if you go into something that's completely fully formed, you've got nowhere to go as an actor. So I just wanted to go on there. Obviously, I do my homework. But it morphs when you get on the floor, certainly when you're you're working with someone like Parminder and someone like Kieran for most, I mean, not really Parminder. That not one, really me. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Kieran. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you just want to sort of develop it and have that space. The next set of interviews features Sharon Duncan Brewster, who you'll know from uh, Rogue One. She was in Sex Education June. She's been a load of other things as well. She plays Tula, a dangerous and volatile female gangster who is on board the ship and is the instigator really in taking control of it as well. Newcomer Daini Sanba Banza stars in a television debut as Genevieve, Tula's daughter, who has undergone some interesting weaponized body modification, shall we say. And Thomas Turngoose, who you're, I'm sure people will know from This Is England, who plays Drew, a prison guard who is the only member of the crew not killed during the mutiny, uh, and has started to develop a thing for Genevieve as well. So here's the interview with Sharon, Diney and Thomas. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. First question to Sharon. You've got a really interesting character on this show. She's very tough. It's trying to be in control of everything, but that seems to be slipping away from her. Do you just want to talk a little bit about getting into that character? You sound like you're being polite there. You're being a control freak. <laughs> trying to be she's to get into that character to get into the character of Tula who is obnoxious she's rude in every sense of the word she's controlling she's selfish she's a narcissist she's a psychopath how does one get into that character um I did a bit of research and I and I I talked I channeled every rude part of my my quiet lovely gentle self and went get rid of that and just do everything you've ever wanted to, to do to be rude to someone in your life and I I didn't I did watch a lot of um sort of gang related um trade like documentaries and some old footage of um different gang leaders and stuff like that and read read I didn't read any books because I'm not very good with books but I sort of read different accounts on online and stuff like that I did a lot of psychological just little bits and pieces to do with different psychologists talking about um narcissists and psychopaths that but I I, I make it sound like I did loads and loads and loads of work I was gonna say you're making it sound like I did nothing Jared come on you're making us all look bad here Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do as much as it sounds like I, I'm saying I did. I did. I did. I did some research though, and I just channeled my high octane self in with that knowledge. Awesome. Yeah. And Thomas, you're rather more the somewhat comic relief, I guess, on the show at the moment. Certainly in the opening three episodes, and uh, you're you're also it's a majority female cast. You're one of the few male characters on it. Um, how is it working in that role on the show? I mean, it's great fun, and uh, like you just said. I'm, I'm one of very few male cast. It's such a breath of fresh air to see, you know, the ladies take control of the situations mm. and particularly Sharon, like she just said, you know, she's very much in control of Drew and there's nothing he can do about that. But yeah, you know, it was a breath of fresh air and it was it was so nice to see something so different, you know, because you've seen all the shows where the men are in charge and it's all very sort of male-led, whereas this was such a, a beautiful breath of fresh air to see the tables completely turned. In a sense with the, the sort of the comic relief, I guess it's kind of like as an audience member, you feel so sorry for Drew in a way. And we was just saying earlier on that it's almost so... You feel so sorry for him for the fact that he's scared to fall in love. He's scared to fall for someone. And it's sort of, it's very, very sad in, in a sense. But as the season progresses, he learns a lot about himself and he learns a lot about um, Genevieve and Tula and also, you know, the, the rest of the people on the ship. So, yeah, it was a real, and, and I mean, when Ollie, Oliver Cooper Smith came in, play Echo, I mean, mm. he's just, he, he took the baton there. I mean, and he ran with it. He did a great job. He was so funny and so quick. Just sort of let me find my feet in, in other ways, I guess. Hi guys, Sharon and Dani, I really loved your sort of unconventional family dynamic, shall we say. How was that playing off each other on set? That was really fun. I think even because we auditioned together, 
I think from the get-go, I felt like a lot of good kind of like energy like to bounce off of from you straight away. So even when we were on set, it was like, there was sometimes like a lot of unspoken messages <laughs> where we just talking with our eyes, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, yeah. that, I think, yeah, you're just really easy to work with and like good to learn from as well. I think it definitely helped that, that we connected. I mean, from the, since the audition, when we auditioned together, um, I was there going, well, I really hope that this young talented actress gets it she was she blew me away in, in the audition and then when I found out that I had got it I was like oh, I hope I hope it was the same actress that I auditioned with and then to, to take ourselves and then go through this really complex relationship which is on the surface you just think okay well oh my gosh that's her daughter first of all and then you find out what Tula has done in order to survive on a general day-to-day in the common world and then how she is very manipulative with her daughter she's very controlling in a sense of not only just in a mother-daughter relationship but just as a as a sort of new age gang lord she's just she she takes things to the nth degree and when you when you find out what she's done to her daughter people will start to look at Tula in a different light I think and and then then we start to unpick how different their relationship really is it's not your average mother-daughter relationship at all so I think it's really interesting that Julie's very cleverly placed that device there to just to unravel what it means to be related to somebody in this this new world that that we will see. I think we definitely found ourselves like when they said cut to be like, are you okay? Was that all right? <laughs> Was that too much? Because there were moments where it got really intense. Yeah. Take it off a little bit. <laughs> For sure. Sure, but it's a sort of a new way of looking at an age-old issue, which is uh-huh. aggression within the family dynamic. Yeah, the toxic love. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I have to say, I thought Tula and Genevieve were sisters like the whole time. So I was like, I know you guys like mentioned sort of mother and daughter, but at the beginning I was like, oh, they're not sisters. So I'm not, I'm not just saying that's true. I genuinely thought you guys. That's either a compliment to Sharon, <laughs> yeah, or not so much. To yes, Amy. it was. Um, no, just Sharon. be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Danny, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about your character's hair because that was her power. With that was quite cool. Um, so can you just talk about what it was like to have to put those dreads on every day um, and how to sort of act out, you know, choking people to death with your own hair and what that was like for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely a new experience. Putting on the wig every morning was quite easy. I mean, I, I didn't really have any input, but like it didn't take much time. And once we were on set, it was kind of like if it was a scene where I was like choking someone, like choking Drew, for example. At the start, it was kind of like a few gestures with my face to kind of show that to signal that my hair's about to um, strangle him. And then there are other times where you'd have some stunt men rigged up to like fly across a room. And this kind of like, I was kind of going off of them as well. It was really fun to be honest, <laughs> like to pretend like you've got like powers. is like always really cool. <laughs> like <laughs> I've been doing it since I was a kid. So yeah. to actually do it for a job, it's pretty cool. Now, yeah, it was really fun. And like seeing it, um, uh, the end product was like insane. It looked so much cooler than I thought it was going to be. It was just a lot of fun. Thanks. 
And just touching on that sort of effects work, was that your first experience of doing that sort of effects for a show? Yeah. Uh, tonight? Yeah. 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 I've never done anything like that before. I've never even worked with like green screen. I've not done like all of that was really new to me. But it was cool to see the kind of VFX people at work and like when they put random objects and just put like the green crosses on them and you're like, yeah, that's just going to be like a whole person. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Amazing. cool. <laughs> Isn't it? What they, what they can turn a tiny little green cross into. Uh-huh. It's amazing. I learned so much on that about what they, they can do with special effects. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting. They were such an integral part of the process as well because mm. you, you sort of imagine, I always thought that it would be, it's us, we shoot, we film it all, and then they come in later and do their stuff. But most of the time it would be you'd finish a take and they would come in with a silver ball and they, they bringing in, bringing in the balls. As the bringing the balls. Bringing the balls, yeah. So they're, they're with us the whole time, which is quite, I think it's, much more exciting because you you then have input you have somebody giving you you know clues about what something's going to look like um that was one thing that you know they made very clear to us that we if we wanted to we could go to the art department and talk to them about what things are going to look like they showed us mock-ups of things um so interesting to learn though isn't it sorry sharon yeah. I didn't oh, no 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 yeah, go ahead bub go ahead it's, no, it's so interesting to learn like you know, Sharon, you've been doing it for a long time. I've been doing it for a long time. And even it's so amazing that, that you you can still learn so much having been involved in the industry for so long. And it's just like, I think it's really interesting that you could be in the industry for as long as you want, but there's always going to be something else that you are going to learn. You yeah. know, you're always learning. I guess that would make that that's what makes our job so exciting and interesting and no two days are the same, you know. Plus on top of this as well, I would agree with you, babe, is that um the, the technology, the CGI is cutting edge. It's it's not the technology that was five years ago to even Top two years ago, they're just pushing and pushing yeah. so that we're always going to be learning each time we do that sort of, we, like you say, we always learn anyway, but yeah, yeah that's the other thing that um, I'm hoping it's going to really please the audience is how great the effects look. Cause I was really surprised when I saw the yeah. opening, the opening scene. I was like, wow, look at London time. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. So it's going to be. Maybe that's what Carnaby Street's like now. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask Thomas, you, I think we've all seen just the th- first three episodes and you're kind of Tula's punching bag for a lot of it. I think <laughs> the, the moment where she threatens you over the intercom, I remember was particularly great. Do, how does that dynamic sort of, uh, Change. Very briefly touched on there. It's kind of like you feel so sorry for Drew because he meets a girl in the most unlikely circumstances. And it's so beautiful to see the way that their relationship goes from strength to strength throughout the series when it really shouldn't. And also, you know, it's it's kind of when you think about it, you know, he's so terrified of Tula, but his feelings for Genevieve overcome that throughout the series you know it's kind of like he gets to the point where he goes you know what like I I, I may love your daughter and you need to get used to that to that idea you know but I think as, as Tula to take that on board because Genevieve's not only Tula's daughter she's also her protection so it's kind of like he's not only taking away her daughter taking away what, what she needs in a way so yeah it's kind of it's nice to see that Drew sort of stands up to him for himself you know as the season progresses and you know without ruining too much and, and, and it, it 
it was so great to delve into that with Sharon and, and Danny. So, yeah, I'm just sort of excited as myself as a fan of the show to see how that looks on screen and how the audience may feel. Aaron, do you see Tula warming to Drew at all? <laughs> um, I think she may. <laughs> I think she may. But maybe she might get to the point where she feels like she needs Drew and there's a point where... You know, she, yeah. she, she, I know, yeah, no, and, and I'm not giving no spoilers away here, but you know, she kind of like, yeah, maybe she might think, well, actually, I can use Drew here. I was just thinking as you were talking, Tomoda, as you said, she, Dani plays a character that is utilized in so many different ways. But for Tula, I would say she's a force, a source of protection as well, as you said, yeah. And to for you to extract that that element, that just changes everything. And so I do wonder because Tula's got so many different tactics, ways of coping. She's and very she's clever. Normally quick on her, yeah. She's normally quick on her feet, and she's manipulative. And just when you think she's going to attack with uh, aggression, there are times when she goes a totally different way, a route. So mm. I wonder, with, especially with Drew, where we'd go from this where we go next yeah and is it about aggression or is it something a lot a lot more manipulative but also it's just trying to find you know there's i think drew just desperately wants tula to like him and, and to respect him and yeah i guess there's kind of no real way of of earning that respect because he's taken the one thing that's important to her you know so it's kind mm. of it's, it's a very it's a very very touchy relationship but it'll be very interesting you know if if we do get to go on and, and tell yeah. more more of the story it's it's the thing that i'm most excited about is seeing where drew genevieve and tula you know find themselves hey my next question is for dna again with the success of um bridgerton there's been like a lot of talk about quote unquote colorblind casting i just wondered like being part of this program what your thoughts on that are do you think that was like a conscious decision in this program and just yeah what your thoughts are generally on it I'm not sure like how they came to decide who they wanted to cast and for what reason I'm glad they did though I'm glad they included some black women in there and um that they didn't just stop at kind of here's just a black woman and a black woman but gave them like you know central roles and like it's a hard kind of thing to talk about whether it's like what comes first do you like yeah. cast someone because they're black do you cast someone because they're talented or whatever but I feel yeah. like sometimes yeah. it's there's not really a need to separate the two and what they did well with this was that it, it didn't even cut like cross my mind as to why they would have picked uh, people of color as the role for the roles they did I think it was just great that they did <laughs> the last set of interviews features Imogen Danes who uh, you popped up in The Witcher and uh, Black Mirror she plays Verona a reckless cyber hacker who we meet in the very first episode and revels in the delicious irony of the fact that she's now locked up alongside the cop who arrested her, i.e. Ash Harper. And also Oliver Cooper-Smith, who was recently in Tin Star. He plays the space pirate Echo, who Ash meets in the second episode. He has the charm of Han Solo, the sort of swagger of Jack Sparrow. He's kind of the epitome of the lovable rogue. He's a wonderful, wonderful character. And also Iona Vrolik, who is exec producer on the series. So here's the interview with Imogen, Oliver and Iona. 
Lovely to see you all. Oliver, your character comes in episode two, you arrive, isn't it? There's something of a sort of Han Solo-ness about him, I rather feel. How was it coming to that character and were there influences of people like Han Solo and that sort of thing in there? You know what? Yeah, it's right. He comes in episode two and he kind of saves the day and comes to the rescue. And yeah, I've got to be honest, as soon as I read him on the page, there was similarities. Han Solo, I thought of um, Chris Pratt in the Guardians of the Galaxy. There was sort of lots of different things that I could pick out. Um, Spiller from The Borrowers was another person that I was like, oh, that's who it reminds me of. But I, I have to say, I, I did very little research for this, I have to say, because, <laughs> because you um, you turn up on, on set in the costume and, and, and the sets were incredible and detailed. The makeup was impeccable. The script was great. It was all there. So it was like, turn up on time, know your lines and be ready to sort of adapt and play. But I did look at Harrison Ford flying the Millennium Falcon because I was a bit nervous about making it seem believable flying a ship when actually all you've got in front of you is a lighting guy or a boom guy or whatever. And it seems that if you just press a lot of buttons and battle some thrust, you can sort of make it seem convincing. So that was what we got from, uh, from Harrison Ford. Imogen, you have a really interesting character as well, because she's sort of a prisoner, but not sort of as evil as maybe some of the others. The, the others are kind of really kind of hard and tough, and you are a bit more in the grey. So yeah. um, how is it balancing that as an actor? It was one of the reasons I was really attracted to the part and actually the whole script is I don't think that Julie has written good and baddies she really has just written humans under intense stress so it makes it so much easier because every time there's what seems like an, an extreme decision she's giving you the motivation for it so while she is technically a criminal she's stolen this new orum at the top of the show she's done it out of sheer desperation because she's being kept down by a dictatorship and has been orphaned and has nobody to rely on she's just fending for herself so yeah, I think there's this whole spectrum of evil that we meet across the show. And yeah, Verona's, to my mind, 100% good, of course. But when she does cross a line or let someone down, I think, and I hope, if I've done her justice, the audience understands why she's done it every time, rather than just having someone who's behaving for no obvious reason, you know, completely terribly. If that makes sense. That's so interesting. Sorry to jump in. But that's, what I think, what makes the scene in episode three with the prison guards. I love that scene. And Alex Carter, who plays the prison guard, I thought he was great and he played it so well but, but but between the two of you that scene I don't know it just really hits home and I think that everything you've just explained is sort of it feels like a massive moment for her that scene yeah yeah oh thanks all yeah, I really, really enjoyed doing that scene because you just get an opportunity to humanise an act, basically. You're given that little bit more script and that little bit more space and time to sit with the repercussions of your actions rather than just an action show in which you get people shooting and running around and everything's hunky-dory and you're essentially glorifying violence. This this show, I don't think I don't think it ever does that. You always see how those scenes affect the characters. My question is for um, Iona. I was really quite impressed with, like, the production and we've already talked about the CGI and, and the effects with the other cars so um, how like hands on were you for that like, and what were the biggest challenges of bringing such a huge sci-fi world to the screen I think our show had a really healthy budget but I think the challenge with any world building show and science fiction show is how do you achieve it for the budget that you have and um, particularly for this show which is it's a road movie through space and so what What's so exciting about the series, I think, is that every episode has its own aesthetic. It has its own sets. It has different planets that they visit. And so there was a massive challenge for the production in terms of realising the huge ambition that was on, on the scripts. 
But the thing that all of the creatives bought into was that vision. And we just had the most amazing lead director in Kieran Hawks. Um, and we had the most amazing heads of department who were all wanted to make sure that the show was not let down in any way. So our set designer, Mark Garrity, did an amazing job. Um, and for me and, and our VFX team through Milk also did an amazing job. And it was the particular relationship led by Kieran with the set designer, a production designer, sorry, and the VFX team that really allowed us to create those incredible worlds. So I'm really glad that you've responded to that because it was, you know, whenever you start a show, I always worry about what could go wrong. And obviously when you're creating so, so many worlds, it's how do you make sure that they all work and do them all justice, but also that the whole series has a coherence. And so it was sort of my job to facilitate very, very brilliant people to do their best work and to be incredibly creative and incredibly inventive so that when these guys walked on sets, it was there and they understood what the episode was going to look like. So yeah, it was a big job and it took the quickest and simplest answer to your question is prep. You know, what was amazing about having Kieran Hawks as lead director and, and an executive producer on the show was that he prepped absolutely everything. So every single person on that floor Law, knew what they were trying to set out to achieve. And I think that shows of this scale get into trouble when you don't have that level of preparation and when things start changing at the last minute. But we were very robust in locking down our scripts and making sure that, that there weren't last minute changes that could catch us out. And by having Kieran and Julie driving that clear vision creatively, it allowed all of our heads of department to follow suit. That was the, probably the biggest challenge, but also the thing that was the most rewarding and satisfying to get right. My follow-up was going to be if you couldn't quite fit any ideas into the first series, but it, it sounds like it was a pretty efficient production and you got pretty much everything in that you wanted to. Pretty much. I mean, there were. there's always a process of consolidation and editing that happens. Certainly the big picture editorial didn't really change for us. There were certain sets that it just became prohibitive to have so many sets. So within episodes, we might consolidate action into one place. But that wasn't anything that you wouldn't have on a non-science fiction show, for example. That's a pretty standard thing with production that as your director sits down with the location manager and the rest of the team, you start making sure that the scripts then become tailored for the set or the, the set that you're shooting in. We pretty much achieved what we set out to, which was gratifying. My question is for Imogen and Oliver. It's a sci-fi program, which is it's quite high concept set in a completely new world but I just wondered if you could like narrow it down sort of give us like the message that you hope people will take away from it when they watch it other than all the brilliant sets and special effects and action like what is this story about in both of your minds? I really like that question because it's so easy to end up talking about all the bells and whistles and I think it's really important because it's such a profoundly human drama to focus on exactly what you're talking about. And to my mind, and particularly for my character, but I think for everyone, actually, I would say the message is that solidarity is rewarded. It's a show about eight people trying very hard to not depend on anybody else. And every week, every episode, every world that they enter, they discover bit by bit that it doesn't work to need no one. And so I'd say, yeah, solidarity is rewarded would be my takeaway message. Nice. I think people will take away lots of different messages. And I think, you know, 
you got to watch it to figure out, you know, how it sits with you and how it resonates with you. But watching it myself and being a part of making it with, with that ensemble and that group of characters, there is something about them that you just kind of want to keep hanging out with them. It's a weird sort of things they get up to and the way they deal with stuff and all of the dynamics that are going on between sort of a certain pairing here and a certain pairing here. And it's all kind of overlapping and crossing over and they feel so real and human and all the themes and emotions that they go through are, are just really relatable. So that I think you will take away from it that it's almost like you feel like you belong with them. So I think that's just a nice thing that people will enjoy getting involved in as they watch the series. In terms of shooting the show, it seems like it's it's very much a sort of has two halves to it because you've got you guys on the ship and then you've got a bunch of people back on Earth. Are you shooting in the same area? Is there much interaction between those two halves or do you kind of completely separate? Yeah, so we're on the same studio lot. Okay. But inevitably, because the hemlock was, it's not like a lot of things where you've got rooms on the hemlock shot in totally different lots. It was like, it was built so that you could literally run a camera track around one spaceship it's like a I keep wanting to say it is a real spaceship it is not a real spaceship (laughs) as good as so the old London set was on a different lot do I mean a different lot yeah a different lot but on the same what do I mean I don't know what's the studio So we would see them in makeup, we'd see them in costume, but unfortunately, in a way, we didn't have very much crossover when we were actually acting. However, having said that, I think it was almost helpful. I think the extent to which it feels like a binary universe that they're in maybe was helped by the fact that I didn't really know what was happening, aside from reading it in the script. I didn't know what the atmosphere was. I didn't know what the culture of the old London set felt like. So when I came to watch it, it was so exciting because I felt yeah. like I was like, I'd just never seen it before. It wasn't like I was watching the watching it from behind the camera. Um, That's a good point. It was watching it. I, I realized that there's so much about that show that I'd had in my imagination, you know, yeah. with the Commonwealth stuff, which we didn't see so much of it with the special effects. So you can only just imagine what it's going to look like. So that when you watch it, I felt like a fan really watching it and yeah. just getting swept away in the, in the, the whole new world to quote Aladdin um, it felt like it was yeah it just sort of really um, enticing you know and the aesthetic was so different I feel like they really successfully created these two worlds that like looked and felt different the textures yeah, were different yeah. again Mark Garrity is just a genius the way that he managed to create such diverging aesthetics and yet it didn't feel like watching two different shows hmm. don't know how I did it I thought your two characters had uh, very interesting dynamics with the lead Ash Harper, Oliver, you sort of come in with, you know, very masculine energy in a female-driven show. And then uh, Verona also has a very interesting relationship with her. Can you talk about sort of how you develop that with um, Savannah and how that might evolve over the series? I think for Echo, he, there's something about Ash Harper, which he's just instantly drawn to. She's sort of fiery and feisty. And, and the first meeting they have is a, a fist fight and she, you know, puts him on his ass. And it's sort of something about that is like wow I kind of I'm just drawn to it I'm attracted to it you know and I think that's what really leads him to become involved in the hemlock that's why he kind of goes back there to sort of find her and see what it's about and then becomes involved in the whole gang and as it goes on I think he becomes more and more involved with Ash and he realises there's feelings there that might be a little bit deeper than just sort of like a attraction or a challenge and as it goes on you know he may develop some sort of relationship with her but you know you'll have to wait and see Yeah and Verona Verona and Ash have such a love-hate relationship throughout the series I mean they really just can't figure out what it is 
things that they want from each other. I think having that initial meeting, being her being arrested by Ash, it feels like a constant one-upmanship. They both want to have the high status all of the time. And I think it's really interesting in episode three when Verona is just forced to, they're both forced to confront their prejudices about one another, like at every opportunity. So Verona, for the first time, witnesses firsthand Ash having enormous integrity. And she just can't square that with a Commonwealth cop. It doesn't make any sense to her. And again, I think this just happens every day in in real life. I, I hope it's something that will resonate with audiences. And likewise, Verona is seeing someone who, to her mind, is a rebel and a criminal who deserves to be locked up. But on the other hand, she's witnessing somebody who's vulnerable and at times very kind and can't square it. So it's, yeah, it's two people battling their prejudices constantly is how I describe it. My question is for Imogen and Oliver again. Something I've noticed during this junket is how tight all the cast seem to be. Like you all seem to have like a really good rapport. You all seem to get on really well. Like you've got nicknames for each other. Um, so can you just talk? Do we? Yeah, um, I think Sharon right. talked Thomas Tomo at one point, I think. Oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. oh, good point. I thought it was going to be a lot worse than that. <laughs> I was very curious. Yeah, so it's, it just seems like a really, really nice relationship. So can both of you just talk a bit about that? Um, I mean, it, you, obviously you can't get together physically, but have you bonded over Zoom or anything like that? Just, um, yeah, talk about your relationship. It's not real. We're all very convincing. <laughs> uh, so I um, Instantly, I, everyone just clicked. It's just a very lucky coincidence of... Um, personalities just really kind of understanding each other and just clicking and, and and also going towards an end goal and a common cause of let's make the show the best it can possibly be. And I've said it before, like we, days on the hemlock where there's like eight of us filming these scenes and there's you're on there for a long time and it can get quite cramped because there's like lots of crew, but I just loved it. Everyone was, you know, having a joke and laughing around and really sort of kind and generous with their ideas and stuff. And it just felt like as soon as they said action, it was professionalism and we'll get this done let's make it the best it can be and we've got these ideas and what about this and what about this and then when when we were offset we just kind of relaxed into each other's company it was a real luxury don't you think Kimmy? Yeah and it's testament to Carmel Cochrane who cast this thing because it's a mammoth task and she just nailed the chemistry I think most of us had chemistry tests with other people and I just think she just completely nailed it she managed to get an incredibly diverse group of people and we're all really different this is the thing that kept astonishing me when we'd all find each other we'd you know we were going out we were all in Manchester for the shoot and we'd be going out and we're like we are eight very different people who got on like a house on fire I don't know how she managed it but she did and it was yeah it was just a joy every single day and we've been mainly online but we did sneak in a couple of drinks didn't we yeah, we're locked down we managed it last year yeah. and hopefully it's not too long before we can all meet up closer to release and properly raise a glass assuming as I'm sure it will, will does the show does really well and you get another season it's a sort of very British cast if you could get one big British actor to come in and guest star on it who would you like to bring in oh good question that's a great question oh ah who do you think it yeah. you know I just don't I want to get anyone that I'm worried is just going to be a lot better than me <laughs> yeah. do you know who I love um, George Mackay that's who I'd want to get in it I love George Mackay I think he's that's a amazing actor and he's a lovely boy and I, let's get him in there he'll, fit, he'll slot into that gang perfectly yeah that's good it's a cliche but I am going to go with Dame Judi Dench I don't oh, know oh, where oh. she'd fit into the narrative and I'm struggling to place that I have every faith in Judy Geary I just think that would be completely wonderful maybe she could that's just be like on a throne at the back of the hemlock. Yeah. That's what I'd like. That's a great answer. Jealous of that, aren't you? Well done. 
So those were the interviews with the cast and crew of Intergalactic. I urge you to go and watch it. It's released on Friday the 30th of April on Sky One and Now TV, and all episodes will be available on demand from that date as well. Of course, if you want to hear more behind-the-scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This will also give you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, filming, and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk UK for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.